Yeah, hey there, welcome along to another episode of the High Performance Podcast. Look, I say this a lot, but honestly, please understand when I say that the conversation you're going to hear today is with a man who has become one of my heroes. I knew very little about him, I knew very little about his business, but the way that he operates is the way that I want the whole world to operate. So please stay exactly where you are and get ready for a wonderful episode of the High Performance Podcast this week. As always, a huge thanks to you for being involved in the podcast. The fact that you talk about it and share it on your social media accounts, guys, is making all the difference to us. We've had an amazing number of downloads and listens and subscribes just recently. It is really, really picking up momentum. And we're so proud of that because the High Performance Podcast honestly just exists only for good. So please keep sharing that good among yourselves. And don't forget, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on YouTube. You can also pre-order our book. The description is in the link to this podcast. And head to thehighperformancepodcast.com to sign up to our new little club, The High Performance Circle. Okay, let's do it then. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. Um, it's, it's an episode with empathy, love and kindness at the absolute center of it. So let's get to it. It's time for this week's High Performance Podcast. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hi there, I'm Jake Comfrey, and you're listening to High Performance, the podcast that delves into the minds of some of the most successful athletes, visionaries, entrepreneurs, artists, and business people on the planet, and aims to unlock the very secrets of their success. Now, of course, you can't do a job like this alone. Thankfully, Damien Hughes, professor and expert in the field of high-performing teams and cultures, is my partner for these podcasts. Um, look, one of my firm beliefs, Damien, is that true leadership is being so secure and so confident in yourself that you're happy to spend your time lifting other people up. And I think that that is a pretty accurate description of the person we're meeting today. Yeah, very much. Um, I remember about 15 years ago meeting our guest today and he used a lovely irreverent phrase when he described himself to me. He said he was a lucky sperm. And I like the irreverence of it, but I also like the, the sense of perspective and also the, the family feel that this person really does create within his organization. So I'm really excited about this. Let's get into it then and dive into a conversation about living a high performance life as a lucky sperm with someone whose name you may see every time you pop to the shops or on the high street. And actually, I thought today I would let his Twitter biog be the opening introduction, partly because I think you should follow him because he is really interesting on social media, very honest. You get a really good understanding of him and the culture of his business. You can find him at James T. Cobbler, but also... His Twitter biog is the perfect introduction to him. So this is what it says. Chief exec of Timpson Group, cobbler, prison recruiter, believer in upside-down management, colleagues, not staff, and being a great boss. So welcome to the High Performance Podcast, James Timpson. Thank you very much. Nice to have you with us. Look, we'll start, as we always do, with the first question. What, in your eyes, is high performance? What I try and do is to be the best at everything we do. And a lot of those things are quite subtle, 
often things that you can't see, it's how you feel. And what I want is to have the perfect business. And I know I'll never have the perfect business, but my what I'm trying to do every day is to get to a position where it is faultless and it is better than any other business can be. And every shop I have is better than anybody else's shop. And the colleagues I work with are the best colleagues that anybody can get. And they're happier than anybody else's colleagues are. We'll, we'll talk about some of the big things because, as I mentioned at the top, you recruit people out of prison and you're a big advocate for when people have served their sentence, letting them live their lives again. And, and Timpsons help a lot of people to do that. You obviously invest in your staff. And these, these are sort of huge gestures that you make to show people the kind of business you are. You believe in paying your taxes fairly, all that sort of stuff. But I'm, I am interested in the subtle stuff. What are the little subtle things that are in your daily life that help you to run your business really well that perhaps we don't know? I think I'm quite an emotional person. And I, I'm really sensitive to how people feel. So from when it's, whether it's you, you, you coming into my house or, you know, someone coming to the office or a customer coming into our shop, it's really important to me that people feel good about it. And emotional intelligence is something that can often be lacking in business mm. and in lots of other areas of um, performance. And for me, I don't pay Premier League wages. We run a retail business. We have colleagues who work in warehouses. They're amazing people. They work incredibly hard. But the reason why people come to work is not just pay. It is because there is something about our culture that makes them want to come to work and perform. And it makes them feel that they are part of something. And culture is what really excites me, partly as a business owner, partly as someone who thinks that we can all exist in a world where culture empowers everyone and lifts all of us up. So let's talk about your culture then, upside down management. So was this something that came from your dad or came from you? How did it, how did it first begin? Sort of a, a combination of lots of things. Like, like most sort of good ideas, it's, a, it's been in a melting pot for some time. So in, what happened when I first joined the business, it was a very different kind of business. It was old-fashioned. Uh, my dad hadn't run it. He'd run the shoe retail business before. And it was run basically by retired military men. And so it was just... Do as you're told, follow the orders, go home. And when I started working in the shops, I've never been one for obeying the rules, but every shop I went to, I doubled the turnover. And I, I'm, I, I'm not the best shoe repairer or key cutter at all. I'm enthusiastic, I can sell, I can, you know, I can get people motivated. But it's because I broke the rules and could do whatever I wanted because I was the boss's son. And literally every shop I went to, I was doubling the turnover because I was doing deals, I was giving stuff away for free, I could phone the warehouse and they'd send me anything I wanted because I was the boss's son. And I thought, this is not right. If I can do this, why can't everybody else? But everyone else had to obey all these rules, which are actually stupid rules, that stopped the sales coming through. And I also read some books that had a real impact on me, just about leadership and how certain companies were run. The Richard Sounds business was probably the most impactful on me. And Julian Richard today is one of my very close friends. But also, I was a bit of a geek that I used to read articles in newspapers about businesses that I thought were interesting and books I'd read and things I'd seen on the TV. And I'd just write to these chief execs and owners to say, can I come and see you for the day and follow you around? Literally, literally a handwritten letter. And virtually all of them said yes. So I'd turn up crazy early in the morning, 
and literally follow them around, sit in their board meetings. Well, and, and by the way, the people that say yes are the kind of people you want to follow around anyway. Exactly. Those that say no, you, you wouldn't want to be there, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And some of the things I saw I didn't like, but generally it helped me build up this picture of what I wanted. And basically, it's a culture based on trust. It's about employing people who you really like and you trust them to run the business and they don't need all these rules in place. I'm fascinated by the business element, James, but I'm equally fascinated by your own family circumstances because knowing a little bit about your parents and the amazing fostering that they did over over a long period of time, how much of that shaped this idea of trust and, and creating this family feel that, that you've obviously done at Timpsons? Certainly been an important part of the of this of the mixing yeah. pot. It's only when you get older you really realise what you learn from it. And you know, I spent a lot of my life with younger foster children than I had. My parents never fostered kids who were older than us; they were always younger than us. And a lot of them were broken young people. You know, a lot of them went on to have pretty unhappy, unsuccessful lives. Unfortunately, even though we did our best, but they were broken from a very early age, very damaged young people. But a lot of them had a spark and a personality. And I always just thought, you know, they're no different from me. I was just lucky. And so I think it's helped me when I work in the shops and I work alongside my colleagues to understand why people behave as they do and what are the trigger points and what, what can you do to help people really perform who have often never had an opportunity to perform and be themselves before. But when you get it right, they can be absolutely amazing and I have lots of colleagues who have been through the care system have been through the prison system have been through lots of you know have had lots of different challenges in life and the job with us is the first time they feel successful and to me that's that's the privilege of being a boss of seeing these people when they join you you know they are reserved you know they can't look you in the eye they are probably on the, the, the sixth job of the year so far and you see them a year later and they're a manager and they're proudly wearing all their badges that they've managed to get and the sales figures are good and the and the shop looks good and they are confident and you know it helps the rest of their life as well when you came into the business then you've got this irreverent attitude to getting things done and and turning up the rules and then you've got this family experience of seeing that spark of potential in people what was it that was the catalyst for you then to start to bring those two elements together and almost codify it for the wider business? I think probably because I'm commercial and competitive and I want to find the best people and to get them to perform. And when you realise you can find these people who no no one else has found before and they become like exceptionally talented people. I probably have three or four colleagues who even now WhatsApp me like six, seven times a day and they're either really, really high or or, or they need a lot of support. And I'm okay with that. That, to me, is part of leadership about helping people who, often extreme people, people who have, you know, challenges with mental health or anything, but I love helping them get up to where they want to be. But we have 4,500 colleagues, so you get a real mix of talent and background and challenges. But it's about how, how can you find a way for them to be their best? And I think lots of organisations just try and dumb it down just, just do this like everyone else has to do and go home. And that's not the kind of thing I like. 
I think, though, that some people will look at the way you run your business and how you empower people, and they'll go, well, we're only a small business, so we can't do that yet because we haven't you know, got the turnover or the size or the scale of, of Timpsons. And then big businesses will look at what you do and go, well, we can't do that coming because we're such a huge business. We've got thousands of staff. We can't possibly instill a culture like Timpsons have got. So often people will look for the excuses not to do something. But I think what you're basically saying is, regardless of the size of your business, this is a culture that doesn't judge people, it empowers people, and that is the kind of like, that's the secret superpower to Timpson's success. Yeah, and it amazes me how many organisations try and control everybody and have loads of rules in place. Mm. And I can see how it starts off, but it's all for, for, for a good reason, because something goes wrong. So when something goes wrong, you've got to have a, a guideline to stop it going wrong again. But then a guideline becomes a rule, and then, then there's rules and rules and rules and rules. Mm. And then you have an organization where people just turn up and just as long as you follow the rules, you get paid and you can go home. But those rules stop you being innovative. They stop people being themselves and that ends up costing you way more money. So I'm really commercial and I know in our business, the best way to make as much profit as we can is to trust people because hmm. then you don't need all this middle management in place to check and stop people doing things. So we get a lot of teachers listening to this podcast because they find it really useful for working with children. We get a lot of business owners and business people as well. They will be listening to you now going, hold on a minute, you can't run a business without rules. So do you run a business without rules? We, we have two rules. Yeah. First one is you put the money in the till, which right. is an essential part of retail. And the other is you look the part, which is the common sense things, which is you look smart, you open up the shop on time, you're nice to people, you don't smoke in the shop, you don't eat in the shop, um, and you don't have your, ha your friends hanging around in the shop all day. Apart from that, do whatever you like, literally whatever you like. Give things away for free, order whatever stock you want, do deals, do promotions, I don't care. I trust you to run the shop. So then how do people not join your business who just sort of want to take the piss and have a laugh? Because what you find is that when you trust people, they want to com conform. If you give lots of people rules, they want to rebel. So what we do is we're very, very clear on our two golden rules. So if you break our two golden rules, we're not happy. We come down pretty hard. But the rest, you go for it. And what we find is that creates a huge amount of loyalty because people are trusted and people feel that they are running, quite rightly, their own business because they can be innovative and they can do what they like. They can react to to customers in whatever way they want and that gives people satisfaction so how much freedom does someone in a timpson store have so if you're working in the shop in norwich a customer comes in you know they want 25 keys doing and um they've only got 80 quid in the budget fine just do it for 80 quid even though it should have been 120 quid you can phone up the warehouse order whatever you want they won't say no they won't say why even if you got it wrong that's fine because i know you will learn if you get it wrong you can do deals, displays, you can do whatever you want. You can decide when, when you're going to take your breaks. It doesn't matter to us. So what is the interview process then for making sure you get the right people in your stores who react positively to empowerment? Because I know there'll be business people listening to this who think, I want these kinds of people in my business. How do you get the right people? Okay, so for us, a CV, complete waste of time. Right. All we're interested in is what's your name and what's your phone number. Literally, we don't even read it because all we're looking for is something that you can't find on a CV, which is personality. 
So we want people who are fun, interesting, engaging, sparky, quirky, a bit odd, perfect. You may be the world's best shoe repairer or dry cleaner, but if you're miserable, lazy, dull, uh, or moody, we don't want you because colleagues don't want to work alongside you and you won't get our culture. So we can train anybody to repair a watch or cut a key, but I can't train someone to have a different personality than they have. So what we've learned over the years is it's just about personality. So, so if someone comes along who's worked for a competitor, probably don't want them. I'd much prefer someone who's just left university or has been made redundant from another job or just left the, left the army or whatever, who's got that spark, and that's what will invest in so would you tell us about the mr men recruitment i call it the mr men yeah, one yeah. of like okay. the cartoon images and you let people do that because i think that'll be interesting for people to uh, to hear about okay so so if i'm interviewing you for a for, for a job in, in in a shop or in the office or whatever i'm not sure i'd employ him to be honest <laughs> no I'm not, yeah i'm unemployable yeah. i accepted that years ago the um then we have a chat for about 15, 20 minutes. And I'm just trying to work out your personality. So I'll ask you about your hobbies or whatever. And then when the interview is finished, we have a little sheet which just ticks the kind of personality that I think you are. Okay? So after you've gone, I'll, and I'll tick, were you happy, fun, interesting, engaging, all that sort of stuff? Or were you a bit quiet, a bit disengaged? Whatever? And if you're in the personality box that we like, I'll offer you a job. And who does those interviews? Our area managers and their sort of support team do it. So we do a lot of training on how we do interviews because to us, this is absolutely vital because we want people who are nine or a 10 out of 10. So we want to have the right personality and the way we describe it is a nine or a 10 out of 10. So in any organizations that you work in, we can all spot a one, two, three, four or five because they're just not right for us. They may be brilliant for something else, but they're not right for us. The danger zone is six, sevens and eights because they're okay, but their best isn't good enough for us. And I feel as a leader that I have a moral obligation to make sure my fantastic colleagues work alongside people who are as fantastic as they are. So that's why we only want people who are 9 or a 10 out of 10. If someone's an 8, we'll give them every opportunity to improve because there may be other issues behind the scenes. There could be problems away from work. I mean, in fact, some of our colleagues who are a 10 out of 10, sometimes they'll go completely off the boil. They'll have maybe a couple of years, they're just not performing, not happy, not, not themselves withdrawn and it's often because there's a problem outside of work so we take it as our responsibility to try and help them uh, get back up there how ruthless though do you need to be when people don't fit you know damien has written books about high performing cultures and he uses fifo fit in or f off and i see on your website you say goodbye to drongos so when someone is a drongo how ruthless do you need to be to make sure that the culture of timpsons doesn't get undermined Okay, the, the way we just sort of describe in our business, no one ever leaves us. They just find their happiness elsewhere because they won't be happy within our culture because we don't think they're right for us. They may well be right for someone else, but they're not right for us. And coming back to this point I said before about it's a moral obligation to make sure you only work alongside amazing people. So it's the leader's job to make sure that those who aren't good enough have an opportunity to improve or they go. But the way we do that is through kindness. So we have, bizarrely, lots of colleagues who thank us for the way they left because we've helped them leave, we've helped them retrain, we've given them lots of guidance and stuff, but we're honest. And we say, I'm afraid your best isn't good enough for us. And I'm okay with that. You know, I, I want to run an amazing business and I want to have amazing people. And to do that, you've got to be selective. How many staff do you have? Uh, we have 4,500. So this is what I can't quite get my head around yet. 4,500 staff 
And it feels to me like at the core of what you do is kindness, right? Is looking after your staff and empowering your staff. Almost everyone will think to run a business that size, that successfully, you need to be ruthless. And you're proving the absolute opposite of that in this conversation. But we're pretty tough when we need to be. Right. But we do it with kindness. And we do it with a lot of training behind the scenes. So So our area managers and our teams know how to do it. An area manager for us is like the key role in the business. They basically look after 80 to 100 colleagues and they run 40 to 50 shops and they have a little team around them, but they are the key role. And every year we have a thing called the Happy Index, which is a colleague satisfaction survey. And lots of businesses, you probably have them in various things, hundreds of questions. How do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? All this sort of stuff. And we just have one question, which is on a scale of one to 10, how happy are you with your area manager or your leader? And that is the only way we judge how the area manager performs each year. I'm not really interested in how much profit their shops make. I'm not interested in their sales. I'm not interested in their margins or anything like that. I'm interested in the happy index because it's their job to be the best boss their colleagues have ever had. And I mean, we have last year, we had nine area managers score over 95%, which is pretty good. And, and they're tough. These aren't Men and women who are pushovers, they are direct and kind, but they, they know that the motivation for them is they have to perform in the happy index. And to do that, we need to give them all the tools to be kind. So these area managers then seem central to the whole culture. How important is it that they come up through the, uh, through the shop floor? Every area manager started off working as an apprentice and comes up because they've got to get the culture. Yeah. Um, whenever we do an acquisition, so we over the last few years we bought, for example, like Johnson's Cleaners, and we took on their area managers. We have four of their area managers who are now area managers for us, and they're doing really well. But it takes culture change takes five years, so people really get it, and we're sort of four years in. And if I if I was to talk to them now in front of you, they would probably say that they haven't quite got it yet, culture wise, um, but. They need to be so ingrained in the culture that it's natural. So I was going to ask this, going back to the business you said you inherited, this idea of it was like an old military environment of command and control, and then I'm sure you inherit businesses like Johnson's and things like that where it's very different. What do you think is the biggest obstacle you come up against when you try and change a culture? That people don't believe what we're saying. So... One of the first things we always do when we take over a new business, and not all the businesses, small businesses, is they all seem to, always seem to have a time clock. When you go to the office, you've got to clock in and clock out. Switch it off. Because if you can't trust people to arrive to work on time, I mean, sometimes, you know, we all have to be late because the problem with kids at school or roadworks or whatever. So always switch off the time clock. And then I just talked about the culture and what are our values and what's important to us. And they just look at you going, just don't believe you. Because, you know... It just doesn't make, it just, it just sounds too good to be true. Yeah. So that's why it just takes time and we've got to be consistent in the messaging and, and delivering on the things that we talk about. So we try and switch on all the colleague benefits straight away. Can you just run through those for us? Because I think people listening to this pod will not be aware just how deep and varied those colleague benefits are. Okay, so as I said earlier on, you know, the wages we pay are not crazy wages, but colleagues earn a pretty good commission in, in, in the shops and, you know, our colleague turnover level is very, very low. Compared to most retailers, we're on about 14%, which is low. But 
what I've learned over the years is the best money that we spend is on the benefits that colleagues get on top of their wages and their bonus. And again, a lot of these ideas I've nicked off other people. You know, all the books I've read and books probably you've read as well and I, people you meet, you just nick these ideas and go, let's just give it a go. And <laughs> I never ask the finance team how much it's going to cost, we just do it. So the, the, probably the main one is everyone gets their birthday off as an extra day off. Um, we have um, pet bereavement days. We, when you become a grandparent, you get an extra day off. When your kids have their first day at school, you get an extra day off. So we do things like on, around days off. Um, we have 20 holiday homes where colleagues go and have a free holiday. There's lots of other things we do, like sort of scratch cards and um, celebration events, long service events, and just sort of subtle ways. We've, we've got a, a lottery, so every week someone wins a grand. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, look, as you know in high performance, we love to highlight businesses doing things a better way. That's why we're proud to partner today with Mint Mobile. And when I found Mint Mobile... I had to share it with you. They've ditched retail stores and all the overhead costs and passed those savings on to you. Right now, Mint Mobile has wireless plans starting at $15 a month. That's unlimited talk and text plus data for $15 a month. And for me, those numbers are fantastic. I've been paying way more than that for my whole life. So if you hate your phone bill, Mint Mobile can offer you premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. All the plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network and you can choose from 3, 6 or 12-month plans. Say goodbye to your monthly phone bills. So to get your wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/hpp. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/hpp. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Today's episode of High Performance is in partnership with MindLift, and many of you may have heard already that in 2023, I decided to give MindLift a go, the neuroscience-based personalised brain trainer to improve your focus and your relaxation. So I popped on the headband, I downloaded the MindLift app and connected to my own personal neuro coach. And look, because of my job as a podcaster, I get to experience so many different things that people tell me are going to benefit my life. And in all honesty, once I started using MindLift, I just found that I felt sharper, my focus was better. And I think something else that you can't necessarily feel is that it offers an improvement for overall brain health. I also was really reassured by the fact that this is trusted by clinicians around the world. I know for a fact it's used by top athletes. I've spoken to some of them about how much they love it. And the fact that the whole experience is customised by your own neuro coach, I think just makes it really smart. So if you want to get involved and you're interested, now is the time with a $40 discount exclusively for you. And if you want to get $40 off your first subscription, just go to mindlift.com slash highperformance. That's M-Y-N-D-L-I-F-T dot com slash highperformance. I've got your Twitter up here talking about your uh, 
the things that you give your staff. You, you tweeted a few days ago. For a start, you spoke about your birthday. I've given myself a written warning. All Timpson's colleagues get their birthdays off as an extra day off, but I've sneaked to see our area manager. I mean, they had 5,000 people liking that message. And then there was one further down here, which I thought was brilliant, and it, it really resonated with people. This is what you said. If you find our shops a bit short-staffed this week, I'm sorry. We have a colleague benefit where you get an extra day off when your kids have their first day at school. So a number of colleagues are doing a very special job away from their shops, liked by over 80,000 people on social media. That went mad, that one. Yeah, it did. (laughs) But I wonder whether that's also a really important part of your culture is making sure that your customers understand that you do these things so that actually before they've even had the service from Timpsons, they're more likely to enjoy the service because they know that you, as a big business owner, are looking after the people at the coalface. I think you're right. I think it's becoming increasingly important the way people decide how they're going to spend their money. And so in our shops, we don't have graphics saying, buy this and you get another one half price. We talk about our culture. So we have graphics that say, we pay all of our tax and we're proud of it. We don't do any funny schemes. Because I actually think from a customer's point of view, that's probably more important. See, Uh, that made that... Uh, made me want to come in. I didn't know that before today. And obviously there's choices when you go to shops. I saw that bit about the tax and that for me is enough to now use Timpsons rather than somewhere else. And it amazes me that other companies just don't get it. Yeah. I mean, lots of customers walk into it's our shop. They see the co- they see the, the financial element rather than the benefit element. Do you know what I mean? The, they see the cost of everything and, the, and not the value of it. Mm. And let me be clear, I'm really commercial. And... What, I mean, I, I run the business like this because I believe it. I think it's really important. But I also think it actually helps us make the most amount of money. And if I ran it like everyone else, I'd probably be in the, in the shit by now. But, um, you know, we have lots of customers walk into our shops thinking that everybody has been to prison. <laughs> but it's not. It's about 10% of my colleagues have got prison experience. Um, and it was never the intention. But I think customers like the fact that they're spending money with a company that has values. I mean, I think pret has been excellent at this over the years, uh, uh, talking about with the Pret Foundation and everything, they're very, they're very strong in putting it across. Mm. And, I, and I think it helps. Who supports you in this, James? And what I mean by that is that I know the influence of your father before you in terms of running the business was really critical. So who does that for you now? So my dad's still my chairman. In fact, he was over here last night. Um, and he's great. And, you know, he loves business and he still spends one day a week going around the shops and you know, he's involved in other things, but he's, he, he's, we are completely aligned on culture and how we want to run the business. My senior team have been with me for years and they're really good at telling me when I've made a mistake or about to make a mistake because they know me and I trust them. Um, and I think having a team that's been around with you for a long time is a, is a massive benefit. I'm involved in you know, a couple of sort of business networks where I can talk freely with people who run big businesses and have similar sort of challenges. I learn a lot from that. And probably like you, you just, you meet people, don't you? And you, I'm, you know, I know you're asking me questions today, but I actually spend most of my life asking questions because I want to learn. But there's a famous saying in business that the first generation makes the business, the second generation uh, builds it, and then the third generation squanders it. How are you putting plans in place to make sure that that doesn't happen? You can't plan for the future too much because you just don't know what's going to happen. In the last six months, has just proven that you can't plan for every situation. But I think if your culture is strong and your values are very clear, the organization is far more likely to stick to them and to be okay. And 
I'm a big believer in family businesses. I think even though it's owned by the family, there are four and a half thousand colleagues in our family business. And if you run a business for the benefit of a few, you will go wrong. But if you run the business for the benefit of everybody who works in the business, I think you'll probably be okay. So my view is all we can do is make sure that our culture is really strong, our values are clear, and if family members do come into the business, they're really, really talented, really engaged, and are probably better than anybody else who could otherwise do the job. And you, you call the business your family. Um, you, you have children, you have an actual family here? Yeah, yeah. yeah so we've got three kids, all... All now, as of next week, at university. Amazing. Hey. I, I want to talk a bit about parenting and the things you've learned along the way through business that informs the way you parent. I think the first thing is, you know, thank you very much for inviting us to your lovely home. It's always quite important, I think, when people invite you to sort of step over the threshold to have a conversation like this. It makes it all feel a little bit more personal. I'm sure you won't mind me saying for people who are listening to a podcast and watching the clip from in this room that your house is lovely. It's a beautiful setting in the countryside. So how do you, with this kind of a life, and I'm sure your parents did it with you as well because you, you had had a, a very lovely upbringing, how do you build resilience and compassion in your children for other people? Well, firstly, I have an amazing wife who is the person who is probably has far more influence over our kids than me. She's amazing at it. Um, I think just being honest and trusting them and it's okay if they make mistakes, um, communicating and Maybe some people would say we've always been probably too open with our kids, but um, we don't keep any secrets and we treat them as equals. And um, our kids are great. And you just want them to be happy. And um, I don't think money makes kids happy. It's about love and it's about experiences and it's about the guidance, the quiet guidance that you can give them. And how do you give them an understanding of work ethic? Because it it wouldn't be out of this world to think one of your children might actually go, well, dad did all right, granddad did all right, I'm just going to chill out and live in a nice flat in Chelsea and go clubbing every night. Like, how, do you, how do you prevent that happening? Or do you even worry about preventing that from happening? I'd... Yeah, I mean, I, we keep them on a really tight rein. Um, I don't want our kids to, to have any more money than any of their friends because I don't want them to be any different from anybody else. And uh, in fact, our, Patrick, our middle son, he went to university in Switzerland for two years, just come back. And... Some of the kids he was hanging around with, he just says, was just, they had so much money. It was outrageous, absolutely outrageous. And, and he just saw that as a bad thing. So we, we have this little system. So we have the family card. So if they need to spend money on things that we would have bought, it's just easier for them. So they each have this family credit card, which I pay off every month. And um, so we always say, we'll always pay for travel because we never want you to have money as a reason why you can't come home. So basically, it's for trains and buses and that and that kind of thing, and um, not private jets. Not private jets. No, no. It's, <laughs> it's only I think it's a seven hundred pound limit or something every month. And um, but each month when I get the statements through, I photograph each one and put it on the family WhatsApp group so they all see what each other has spent. Brilliant. And if any of them have spent anything they shouldn't have done on it, they have to pay me back double. So that's how that's how we do it. And what about instilling the compassion element? Because I. I would say, having had this conversation with you, that compassion is the sort of the underlying success for Timpsons. How do you ensure your children have that compassion as well? If you talk about how, how do they have compassion for, for the business or for working in an, an organisation, they've been around this all their life. Colleagues come to our house all the time. They're popping into the office, popping into the shops, working in the shops. In fact, all the kids have worked in the shops. And um, so it's sort of all around them. So I'd like to think it's 
it comes familiar and natural to them. And also just talk about things. I'm always showing them interesting articles I've read or, or podcasts or whatever. And, uh, and they are, I like to think they're interested. And you allow them to make mistakes? Yeah. yeah. What's I, your relationship like with failure? We fail, I fail all the time. I mean, I'm doing things wrong all the time. And as long as the little failures, I get, you know, I put my hand up and I always think it's, it's, important, it's important to say when you've cocked up. I think the kids, you know, they, they've had their ups and downs like all, all families have. You know, we've had challenges over the years. You know, my mum died four years ago. That was a really big hit to the family. And it's just about being honest with them and just saying, okay, wh- what have we learned? This is not working. You know, we've had kids move universities and stuff. It's not working. Let's, let's try again. But you've got to let them be themselves and find things that, that they are happy with. You just want your kids to be happy. I think that's an important message for people to hear because I think people look at someone like James and think, all right, someone who's successful, whereas I'm someone that makes mistakes all the time, so I'm never going to be successful. Yep. But it's that old phrase that failure isn't the opposite of success. It's part of the journey that's to get success, there. Yeah. yeah, very much. I think that's been... Like knowing your business a little bit, James, I think that's one of the things that that I've always admired in terms of the openness communication. So you have your your newsletter, your good newsletter. Do you want to share some of the insights in terms of what? Because having read it a number of times, it, it's very much about promoting the good news, but it doesn't shy away from from the bad news either, does it? I think you get that balance right. So it's something my dad started because when he first um, had. He sold, he sold the shoe shops in 1987 and then he had this shoe repair business. I joined him in 94 and it was just a load of bad news and he was just getting pretty down because it was just more bad news after the other. So he did these little notepads just saying, John, here's some good news and just sent it to every shop saying, at least I can get some good news. And it all started coming in, which is, you know, I've had a record week or my daughter's passed a driving test or I'm getting married or whatever. And that formed the basis of the newsletter saying, we just need some good news. So that's why the newsletter is just good news. I love that. Brilliant. The way I've always viewed it, James, is that it almost, like, think of it like an emotional bank account. You pay in lots of the good stuff so that when you have to talk about failure or things that have gone wrong, you've got enough credit in the bank with your staff because that's not the only information you're sharing with them. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes I, I get challenged on the fact that it's a bit cult-like, our yeah. business. And, you know, have we just done too much good news? And, for example, you know, I, I've opened shops that have been a complete disaster. I've, I've bought businesses that have been a complete disaster. You know, I, I feel I probably make more mistakes than most people do. But it's, it's about being positive and being on the front foot and being honest about when things go wrong. But the main message has got to be positive. Out of those mistakes that you have made then, what would you say has been the one that's given you the greatest learning that you still implement today at Timpsons? It's normally around people. It's normally around over-promoting people. And I always think, you know, if, if I was promoted every year, at some point I'd come unstuck. We all probably would. We'd all get to a point where it's just out of our comfort zone, our skills aren't there. And I'm really guilty of over, over-promoting some people. It's and, easy to it, trap to fall into, though, isn't it? Because you want to empower your people to rise all the time. It's hard. And I also think it's often easy to promote people who agree with you rather than promote people who challenge you. So I've learned over the years, I'm much better developing people who will challenge and, and, and sometimes are pretty difficult because they're the ones that really help me drive the business on. Isn't over promoting people though, until you reach a point where they start to struggle. 
the right thing to do because otherwise the alternative is not over-promoting them and not, not finding where the limit is for them. Yeah, you're right. But when you do over-promote someone, it's not their fault that they've got into a position where it's all going wrong. It's your fault that you've over-promoted them. So you've got to help them come back to the position where they were successful. And that's, the del- that's very delicate how you do that because you're denting someone's pride and it's, it needs to be handled really carefully. What, what are your tricks for dealing with dented pride if you do an investment, you buy a new business, you set up a store that fails? How do you recover from that failure personally? What processes do you go through? Well, I mean, if we look at the last six months when our business has been absolutely hit, we've been knocked out on the floor, it's been really difficult. Because some parts of it have been exciting. Some part of it has been really scary. And it's how you keep the sort of positive message for everybody. So like, even during the depths of lockdown, I was doing my couple of times a week, sometimes a, a video message that went to every colleague. And it's about what's going on and what we're planning for and stuff. It's like, Christ, you know, I need to, need to be positive for this one. Come on, pull yourself together. Um, when you're just getting hit, hit, hit. And I think it's probably about being honest. And it's about these are the challenges we've got. And if you tell everybody, I mean, I always remember the, the Shackleton advert, wasn't it? You remember the Shackleton yeah, yeah. advert, which is, you know, I'm going to the South Pole, you know, you may not come home, the weather's terrible, the food's awful, and loads of people applied. The most applied for a job advert, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I think when things go wrong, you should be honest about it, but give people a vision of how you're going to get out of it. And it's not their fault. I'm the leader. You know, I've got to take the responsibility for it. Which sounds very much like the role of, of a coach. So on this podcast, we've interviewed some leading managers like Frank Lampard or Ole Solskjaer, and they're describing lots of the same characteristics that they have to do in the sporting context that you're doing in yours, which then always intrigues me that who coaches you? I think I probably try and coach myself, but I get a lot of guidance from the people I know, the people I talk to, the colleagues who I work alongside. And every day I'm just sort of just nudging it a bit. Need to move in that direction. Need to work on that. And, you know, I've got a list, pages and pages of things I need to do. And a lot of those things are easy little things. But actually, what are the two or three big things we're going to be working on? And that, to me, is the really interesting bit of of how you guide yourself and how... So, you know, because the world is changing all the time and it's how you you gear the business up. So, for, for, for example, is our business as diverse as it should be probably not that's not good i need to sort that so there's always new there's new things you learn there's new ways you need to do your business that probably keeps me learning and i'm interested about taking risks and diversifying i think sometimes you can have a great business like timpson's and it's very easy to go right this is the business this is successful let's consolidate and i'm not a fan of consolidation because for me it almost feels like you're shrinking while everyone else around you is growing and being dynamic and acquiring and investing and pushing and pushing so what's your philosophy to taking risks to pushing the business to growing it all the time to going outside of your own comfort zone i think we always have to keep growing or trying to grow i don't think a business is healthy if it just stops or always retreating you've got to keep growing you've got to keep trying to open more shops or try new ideas why is that why isn't it sometimes good to go right for the next 12 months let's just make everything work to capacity and then we'll look to move on that's not a good way of thinking from your perspective i, I don't think so no. I, I don't think it helps people's development i think people want to be working in an organization that's growing so it gives them opportunities themselves so wh- when we do new things 
Um, I always start off really, really small, throw money at it, just keep throwing money at it, loses money, keep throwing money at it until it gets to a point where I can see it's either working and we're going to get there or we, we, we just cut. And so, so I'm happy to keep taking the hits, but I want to learn. And I know learning costs money. And when we do deals, when we buy companies, I spend ages and ages knowing that company better probably than the people we buy it off. So, for example, when we bought the Johnson's business, I knew every shop. I've been to every shop a couple of times. Um, the, the colleagues who'd joined us from them, I spent ages talking to them all, telling, you know, learning about the culture, what, what was working well, what wasn't working well. So when it comes to doing the deal, it's just obvious. You know how much it's worth. And I'm also quite happy to overpay. And it may sound a strange thing. I'm, I don't mind overpaying by a bit because I've got a long-term view. If, if it's a private equity deal or something where, you know, it's literally three years in, out, then the price that they pay is really important. But for me, if I'm going to buy a business, it's going to be with us in 20 years' time. If, I, if it takes me another year to get the money back, that's okay. So what would make you walk away from a deal then? Uh, this is one of the lessons I've learned is never do a deal with someone you don't like because it always goes wrong. Whether it's a supplier, a landlord. Even if you see, oh, this could make me many millions of pounds, you would still... Yeah, don't. Big mistake. Because... You want to do good business, and good business is done with people who you're aligned with. So when the lockdown happened, um, we wrote to every landlord to say, we're going to pay all of our rent for the March quarter day, and then from the June quarter day, we're going to pay you all your rent, but instead of quarterly in advance, monthly in advance. And we got, we got hundreds of landlords. We had two landlords who came back and said no, and we knew which landlords they would be even before we sent the letters. Right. And those shops we're trying to get out of and have different landlords, even if it's a cost to me, because I don't want to be doing business with people like that. So when you look at all of the businesses that you own now, all of the businesses in the Timpsons group, and they all come with the same philosophy that you allow your staff to lead from the front, you empower your people, you look after your people, you promote them. How much of what you do is because you want to lift up and empower people? And how much is it just about making money how was that balance for you i would say it's 20 percent making money 80 percent the people and is that because if you do the 80 percent, the money will come yeah it just it's weird it just you end up making money if you get the the culture and the people bit right because they the, the colleagues who who serve customers and put money in the till if you trust them and let them get on with it they'll work it out you know you don't work you don't work it out in the office how to so for example we've opened this barbershop business so we've now got seven barbershops which actually we're doing really well before the lockdown and since then no one's no one's everyone's (laughs) bought clippers i think people are getting a haircut but you know i've never cut anyone's hair i will never cut anybody's hair don't let me cut anybody's hair but i'll find some you know i'll find people who are really good at cutting hair and they'll tell me what how you, you know what price you pay how long it should take how you serve customers what you need what you don't need and then it's our job to keep asking them what we need to do to improve, what we need to do to improve. You don't find that out by me sitting in an office. But then surely when you have your board meetings, the first item on the agenda is what's our turnover and our profit, no? So in our main board, so we do our main board meeting, which is we do it six times a year. And my dad always does like a four or five page, sort of an essay really, about his thoughts. So he, we have a chat sort of a couple of weeks before he does it about what are the things that are important and what are the things we need to probably need to be working on and um and that's what we talk about 
for and then and then, so that's probably like an hour and a half and then we have like 15 minutes on finance um and then there'll be probably half an hour on just where we up to on a deal or where we up to on sorting a problem out and that's it so the actual conversation about money is quite a small part of of the board meeting yeah i mean we always run the business conservatively because so we don't want the convers- we don't need the conversation to be about money um so we always have money in the bank we don't like debt and you know we don't pay out big dividends or crazy bonuses and stuff like to have money in the business so that's not a priority um so you can then talk about the things that are interesting and you know i'm not actually financially driven um which probably helps i don't know um but i think it's more interesting to talk about culture values direction of travel for example we were talking at the board meeting about technology and how where are we on technology you know we're never going to be an amazon we're never going to be a business that has hundreds of coders and all this sort of stuff but we also don't want to be a business that doesn't embrace technology at all so we were talking about whereabouts do we pitch it and where where should we be investing and how do we invest what do we do in house so i i much prefer doing things in house than contracting out um i've all, i i i just think we're we're better at it works better in our culture when we do things in house so we're talking about that so that's sort of how we talk about things rather than money have you read a book called the go giver no it's i think you'd really like it it basically is everything you're talking about it the the underlying principles are offer basically give more than you're getting it's not about getting it's about giving so offer more value to the customer or to the person that you're providing a service for than you're charging them um it talks about all you need to do is expand so the size of your reach is the key thing and the sort of underlying principle is if your focus is on what you're giving other people it will come back to you in droves and it sort of feels to me that that is the principle of what you're talking about here your number one thought process isn't what can i get it seems to be what can i give yeah so let me give you an example in our shops in the timson shops we reckon about 4% of all of our transactions we do for free so you may think commercial stupid you know you could be getting money in for doing all these things but actually i actually think it's the most profitable thing we do because you always remember when someone's giving you something for free because no one really does i mean i think pret are brilliant at it you know giving free cups of tea and coffee away i mean they are i think they're on like 5% 10% sometimes because it creates loyalty and i agree with you if you give a lot you end up getting but there's so much of what you're saying james that i that i hear the echoes of of uh, your mother's legacy here this whole thing of giving back and looking to nurture and help other people how much was she involved in the business when your dad was running it because some of these values seem to have been inculcated both professionally and personally um she wasn't really involved in the business at all so she was uh, a mother foster carer but she did have a big influence on things uh on in the early days about you know wh- what deals my dad should do and shouldn't do and that sort of stuff she had she you know she was spot on every time there's um my dad used to have a photo of my mum in his office and it was her hoovering our shop in Reading Asda 662 Reading and um they were just popped in and she said this, this this carpet is filthy so she got the hoover out herself and was hoovering the shop and that sort of stuff but um all the long service lunches and stuff she, i mean they loved you know they loved her she's going to the office and stuff and because uh, she wasn't interested in business she's interested in people and that's what people respond to i think maybe you are as well though right yeah i'm a people person yeah. listen it's been lovely to sit here for the best part of an hour and just talk to you about your business and the way you operate we always finish with some quick fire questions and they can be as 
shorter as long as you want them to be. Um, what are your three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you at Timpsons have to buy into? I like people who are kind. I like people who have a positive demeanour. And I like people who are motivated by other things than just money. What advice would you give a teenage James just starting out? I must have been a nightmare. <laughs> I think just ask, ask lots of questions. Just learn, educate yourself. And business is not something you can just turn up and do. You've got to learn it. And the best way to learn it is by listening to podcasts, reading things, doing a load of jobs. I love it in the business when someone says, can I have a go at this? Give me some responsibility. So ask and push yourself. Because we have some incredibly successful colleagues who are young, who are really young. And uh, that's what's exciting. How important is legacy to you? It's important insofar as I want my colleagues to say to their grandchildren when they retire that this was the best company they've ever worked for. And they looked after them in their time of need and they had a great time. So yeah, so it is important. And what is your one golden rule to live a high-performance life? Be on it. I'm on it. Organise, like you guys, you know. I'm just, I like to get things done. Energy, I'm on it. Wonderful. I've, I've loved having this conversation with you because I think that you are the perfect mix of someone who is clearly a driven and very successful businessman. But married to that, you have been on the shop floor literally so you've you're leading from the front because you've been there but more important to me than any of that stuff is you are leading with empathy you're leading with emotion and I can tell when you talk that you have an emotional connection to the people that you employ and you don't employ two or three people you employ thousands of people and that is hugely admirable and I think if there's one takeaway for people that have listened to this podcast it is that you don't have to be ruthless to be successful you can be kind and you can be successful at the same time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Damien. Jake. Anyone who believes you have to be ruthless to be successful in business needs to listen to that conversation with James Timson. Absolutely. I was reminded of a quote from Howard Schultz, the guy that set up uh, Starbucks, where he once challenged the idea that it was a coffee business. He said, we're not a coffee business, we're a people business that just happens to serve coffee. And I think when you think of Timpsons, it's not a shoe repair business or a key cutting business. It's a people business that just happens to do those processes. I also love the fact that he talks about failure and says he fails all the time. And I think you look at someone from the outside, you know, James Timpson, worth a lot of money. His dad ran the business, also worth a lot of money. Surely they don't fail. Surely they don't make mistakes. Yet the reality is successful people fail more often than anybody else. Yep, and I think, again, it comes back to that relationship that they have with it. Do you, do you take it as failure as terminal or do you see it as feedback on the process to where you want to get to? You fail, you, and then it's about the willingness to confront those failures, to look at what did I do wrong, what could I do better, how would I do better again, and then go and put that learning into practice. And I think when we've gone through a global pandemic and the high street has shut down, that's where they do their business. It's times like this that you will understand the true value of looking after your people. Yeah, very much. I think that phrase that James kept using about trust, trust is something that when people ask me, how do you develop trust? I say, give it. 
and then people can only lose it. They can only, there's two options. They either reinforce it and cherish the trust that you've given them, or they can lose it. But either way, you're smarter for the process of it. And trust lies at the heart of the way that you treat your staff and how they subsequently treat their customers and the wider community they're a part of. I honestly can't thank James enough for coming on and being part of the podcast. Um, I actually, there's there's a Timpson just down the road from me and I found myself popping in there now just to chat to the staff because I feel like I understand the business. I know what they're about. I I, I know the ethos of of them and, and I just... I just think everyone, every big businessman, every shop on the high street, every small business person can just learn something from them. You can be successful and you can also be good. And I think it's such an important message. So please keep spreading the message about the things that James spoke about on today's podcast. Just a quick reminder that you can buy the High Performance book. It can be pre-ordered right now. It's coming your way at the end of the year. It's so much more than just the things that we've learned on this podcast. Damien and I are working so hard on it. We're already so proud of it, and we are really keen that you enjoy it as well. Um, So just go to the description in this podcast to pre-order the High Performance book. And we've also created a members-only area called the High Performance Circle. The good news is all you have to do to become a member is head to thehighperformancepodcast.com and sign up. You'll then get your invite and you will be in the circle. So if you want even more from the High Performance Podcast, if you want to be part of the real high-performance community, head to thehighperformancepodcast.com, sign up, and you'll get your invite to be part of the High Performance Circle. Thanks to Hannah, thanks to Will, thanks to Finn Ryan from Rethink Audio for his hard work on the episode of this High Performance Podcast. But most of all, thanks to you for listening.